Hi, I'm Sien Xiao. And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience. The waiting room revolution starts right now. Welcome back to the waiting room revolution. On this episode, we are excited to have a family caregiver on the show. Her name is Rosalie, and she has a direct connection to Sammy. Rosalie contacted us to share how using the seven keys from season one has impacted her life and that of her husband, Paul's. Sammy, do you want to introduce how you know Rosalie? So I was introducing you <laughs> um, as uh, the oldest, dearest friend of my mother-in-law who contacted me a couple weeks ago to tell me how much she's been enjoying and learning and practicing the keys from the podcast. And so, as you know, Rosalie, I told Sienna about you and all your feedback, and then we decided to invite you to this interview so that we could dive deeper into your brain. Well, I'll try. <laughs> Remember, I'm 78 years old. It doesn't work like it used to. Rosalie, I was also telling these guys that, um, you know, you're coming to this interview having lived through scary health conditions, which I didn't go into any detail. Um, so you've had a lived experience yourself and in your life, you have cared for people with serious illness and that you're also currently facing caring, being a caregiver right now, but I have not gone into any detail. That's fine. Don't um, worry. Let's just chat. Let's just chat. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about some of that of your own lived experience and some of as, as either a patient or as a family member, as a caregiver, um, whatever you feel like you're comfortable sharing. Oh, I don't mind sharing. <laughs> so uh, basically I feel I've been a caregiver since probably the age of 10 years old. There's always been somebody in my life who has had a very serious illness. And uh, there were a lot of people in my family for example, who had trouble coping with these serious illnesses. The first serious illness in our family was my brother, who at 13 had a type 1 juvenile diabetes. And um, I'm 78. I was 10. <laughs> so um, that was a horrendous uh, deal in those years. It was scary. It was frightening. It was frightening for our whole family. My grandmother lived with us and everybody was frightened by it, scared. As time went on, we all learned to deal with the illness. My parents were always very hysterical about illness because that's how, who they were. And as a person who watched all this, I guess I just stepped into the role. For instance, my brother would go into diabetic, you know, his, his um, blood sugars would go down and he'd faint. And my mother and my grandmother, my father left, my mother and my grandmother were like hysterical and I got the orange juice and poured it down his throat. So those were my very first experiences with a series and it was scary and frightening and all the rest. My brother unfortunately passed away when he was 36 years old of complications of that disease. 
And um, it was horrendous for all of us. And it was especially horrendous for my parents to lose a child. So that was my very first, as long as I can remember. My parents, my mother was always sickly, and my father never coped well. Sammy mentioned you yourself faced a serious illness. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Over the years, um, I had my own issues with Crohn's disease and learned how to deal raising a family. Then the latest, well, the work, I had many different issues with my own uh, personal life, but I always handled my own illnesses. So I just, it was a natural role for me. Uh, my most re- uh, was diagnosed with uh, cancer in 2014. And uh, my biggest worry was I wasn't going to burden my children. I was going to be the soldier who looked after myself. I would, of course, my husband was my, my rock and um, he was very frightened. And um, I was just determined to get through it. And then, of course, we found out and I uh, wanted surgery right away as soon as I could get it. And uh, they wanted to, to give, do one thing for me. I said, no, just take my breast off, please. I want it done immediately. I had to argue with the doctor over that because they wanted to do another procedure. But I said, no. He said, let me tell you about the procedure. And I listened and I said, you're not listening to me. I want my breast off and I want it soon and I can deal with that. I did say to the doctors at the very beginning, you need to tell me everything. I need to make my decisions. I'll speak to my husband about it, but this is my body and I need to make my decisions. But I had to be very strong with the surgeon. And he still wanted to do a partial and all. I said, no, 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 you're not listening to me. And he, I said, look, I'm a good patient. I'm not in bad health. You need to give this to me fast. I'll be good. I'll do whatever you say. Just get me in there. And I'll be on the first waiting list. And you need to get me out quick, in quickly. And they listened and they took my breast off. It never went into my lymph nodes. I was very fortunate. And, um, and that was that. And I knew I was, and I was very positive. I had no problem with body image or anything. I just wanted my breast off. And my husband was extremely supported. And so were my children. It didn't take me really long to know that that second breast was coming off. I was golfing six weeks after my breast surgery in Florida. And I came home for my second appointment for him to check me out. And I said, I want my next breast off. And he said, but I said, I want it off. I said, he said, but we can, I said, no, you're not listening to me. I want the second breast off. I probably should have had that option at the beginning, but I wasn't going there. I want it off. I, I'm, I golf, I'm active and I'm lopsided. He said, fine. 
So the second breast came off seven months late after the first. Mm -hmm. And that was my experience. I think we can, we get a sense of your style. <laughs> I mean, I've dealt with hospitals and listen, my mom was sick and she had Alzheimer and she had bad heart and I was her caregiver. I was the one and they had her hooked up to everything and she had Alzheimer's and dementia. She was pulling out her everything. And I walked in and I got into bed with her and I put her in my arms and I said, I'm not leaving you. You need to keep these in You're going, or you'll be really sick and you won't come home. And there was a doctor in the next room. I can't remember his name, but he was really upset that I was doing this. And I just screamed at him. I just say, my mother will not keep these tubes in if I'm not with her. But there are people outside and no, she doesn't know those nurses and she has dementia. I stayed there and I talked to my mother and I cried and said, I wasn't ready for her to go. She needed to keep the tubes in. She like came out of the fog and kissed me on my face and settled. So that was my taking care of my mother when she had dementia. So I knew I, when it comes to my family, I'm a bear. Rosalie, can you tell us about what's happening now? What's happening now is that my husband has pancreatic cancer and he was diagnosed. It's three years this May and they, um, he was lucky enough to have surgery. They told him after the surgery that he, he was in good health and he could possibly live for five years, possibly with treatment. Um, there was one cell that escaped and was on the stomach wall. So he has fourth stage metastasized panic cancer. Um, he's been on chemo and he's just finished his 28th treatment and we just got uh, yesterday we, we were at we got the results of his last CAT scan and so far there is no change. He's, he's it's as they say um, they're controlling it. Mm -hmm. There was one spot they said on his lung, but they weren't concerned about it at this point. And they're giving him a three month reprieve. He's not going to have chemo for three months. Mm -hmm. So his, his CAT scan from this time to last time is unchanged. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful news. We we're thrilled. Yeah. We were expecting that because he is he, he, there's a change in his body he's um a bit weakened but you have to know my husband he's the most amazing guy in the world and he's my prince and he walks three miles every day and uh 
every day is a blessing and that's how we treat it. Rosalie, in comes the podcast series. Yes. <laughs> in comes the podcast series. So what I've learned from the podcast series, um, of course, my husband and I are opposites, right? <laughs> so um, he doesn't really like talking about it much. It has enabled me to approach him more um, and understand him and understand that I'm a different person. And we both attack this with, we're both different people. I, um, he, as far as I'm concerned, his choices are, are what makes everything run and how he wants to deal with the, is his, this illness is his decision and I'll support him a hundred percent. Um, he, um, he had a best friend who just passed away who had a very serious leukemia and he was very inspirational to both of us dealing with our cancers and he, um, but he, Ralph was the kind of person as Paul is, they don't, they only want to look at the bright side of everything and sometimes not look at the realistic side. Um, although my husband has, although we have early on talked about what's going to happen at the end, and we have prepared, he has prepared um, and, and made sure that I am looked after financially. Um, and has made a booklet for me when that day comes of what I'm to do, which I don't look forward to, but we talk about it. And uh, that makes me feel much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, he has trouble though. Uh, it, there are times when you can talk about it at times, what I've noticed in times when you can't. And sometimes, Either of us can't. It just depends on where we are at the moment. Um, the podcasts have made me aware, more aware of what he's like and have encouraged a different dialogue between us. Can I ask how so? Because like, you know, because I also because we have sort of different keys, right? These walk two roads and know your style. Were there some that sort of jumped out more than others to you to being um, more helpful or that really were sort well, of eye-opening? It means I have to recall. <laughs> that's where I have a problem. Uh, that's why I listen to them so often. <laughs> um, uh, tell us about that, Rosalie. Like, why do you listen to them so often? And can because you- Because I don't remember. And, and it jogs my memory, okay? Because I'm sure I have some, some issue with my brain at this point, but I listen to them to just jog my memory to say, yeah, that's, the, I have to say that when I started listening to them, it validated the way I deal with my husband. It validated who I am and that we were on the right road. 
uh, when I when it when they talked about the two different ways of looking at two different people, two different that of course, I mean it was right there, but it validates I understand that he's like that and I'm like this and I have to hold back sometimes and let okay, but it just made sense to me. It made sense to me. Um, I think that key was know your style. Yes. And I'm telling you that makes Sammy very happy because that is not one that people talk about. And it is so important of like understanding who you are and who your partner is or who else is in the crew and how that is such an important part of how your experience will be. It will drive your experience so much more than the tests and how fast the cancer is shrinking or what have you, right? It's about right, how right. you act. Yeah. Yes. And how, yes. And it made me think about my children's roles too. Uh, I'm so about protecting them because of my own experience. And um, so, you know, that's not always the right way, but how I bring it up to them sometimes is very difficult for me. And for Paul, he doesn't want to talk about it. Not with the kids. He, he won't talk. He'll joke about it. He'll say, oh, do you think I should buy these pants? I'm not sure I'm going to live long enough to wear them. So he's joking, but they get really upset. Right? He's joking. He makes fun. He'll, you know, and I understand him joking about it. That's how he deals. That's his style. That's his style. That's truly his style. And you're a mama bear. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I am. I am. That's my role. I enjoy being a mama bear, I think. Rosalie, um, tell us about why you thought the format of a podcast suited you. I'm not, I'm so more comfortable in my home. I am so more comfortable learning or being able even to talk to you from my own home and not going into an office or a hospital setting. Hospital settings are the worst place. It's horrible, it's scary. It's, and my husband, as soon as he sees somebody in a white coat, I'm fine, I, even if he's not fine, I'm terrific, I'm okay. But in your own home, you're you. Okay, and maybe for me, it's it's a great uh, it's great. I'm more tempted to maybe look at some other things, even though I'm not quite computer literate. And here you are, a podcast star. Oh, right. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? You guys are stars because I think you've given me a gift, actually. Tell us more about why you think it's such a gift. Are there any other um, reflections you have on how the you how you have used the podcast or what it's done for you or your relationship with Paul? It's just well, uh, it, it's interesting because I slowly introduced a couple of the subjects. Or well, we went we were we were making a list of what he was going to ask the oncologist. 
And one of the thing, the questions I sort of tried to slip in was uh, asking about the timeline of his illness. And he absolutely flew off the handle. He just, and I thought, oops. And um, I just, I just pulled back and I said, I'm only doing this because I care about you and I understand you don't want to and you're in charge. I'm not gonna, they're your questions. I'm not gonna ask any more questions. It's up to you. So that was fine. And we made up the questions and I really backed off. And um, then the next night he said, well, let's talk about the questions again. <laughs> so we talked about the questions. I said, you're making the list. I'm not, you know. So he made up his questions and there were a couple of questions that I would have liked to have asked, but I didn't because I was temporary and I felt I could always call and ask those questions, but I'd like him to, I'd like him to ask the questions, not me. So, cause that's his style and it's his disease. So um, we he brought it up today and he said uh, to me, well, do you think that I'm in remission? And I said, well, that's a great question. And I said, why don't you ask that question? Well, I won't be able to get the doctor. I said, well, call the GP. He gets all the results. And, you know, you can you have a good relationship with Scott. Let's bring him into this. And so let's go through some questions you might ask him. So he did. And he's already put the call in. Well, I don't think that would have happened had we not had I not heard the questions, the questions are really important and we're not adept because we're lay people. We're not adept at asking questions. We'd, I don't always know what the good questions are. I meant to tell you that the other day. And so we need help in asking questions. Now, normally I would ask my son and daughter-in-law who are great, but they're handled, they have an issue they're dealing with and I don't wanna lay that on them. They are the best detectives and you need to be a detective mm -hmm. in this. And that's what I'm learning. And that's one of the things I've learned by listening to these podcasts. They, it's been a revelation to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's affirming to us as well, Rosalie. It's like music to our ears, even though we wish you weren't having to deal with these things um, and so many uh, in your life. But uh, you come with wisdom that Sienna and I can't tap into. You're the kind of person, you are the person we've been trying to reach with our podcast and all the messages. So to know how they have... Um, landed with you is, is so valuable to us. Great. Well, that makes me feel good too, but they have landed and they have been helpful. And uh, my husband's phoning the doctor. He's got a call into him and he's going to be speaking to him on Tuesday. So I think that's great. I think that's great. And, 
again, one of the things you shared with me um, is that the some of the content has allowed you to understand how he's um, dealing with his illness or how he is walking his illness journey. And it may not be exactly the way you would do it if it was your illness and you've described to us how you <laughs> tackled your breast cancer. <laughs> um, so it's allowed you to see how you are different and he is different. Yes. And understand each other better. Yes. And, and offer each other different things. Yes, that's true. That's really true. You know. Yeah, and I think I was going to say, and from what you're describing, it really sounds like you've done a really masterful job at mixing we call putting it all together and mixing them because you know a little bit of you know you're knowing your style you're also toggling back walking two roads of hoping and enjoying the time that you have well he in remission he it is remission they're not doing chemo for three months that's remission for pancreatic cancer um but also looking ahead but only when you're comfortable and and, and you know and and then looking you know, making this binder is a perfect example of looking towards the future and preparing, but not having to, you know, dwell in that and, uh, and, and zooming out to the, you know, um, trying to find out uh, not so much the timing, but what is what's coming up next and enjoying the moment, but also, you know, knowing that we should prepare a bit for what's ahead, but we don't have to dwell in that. So I just think it's so wonderful to be able to put them all together and see how you're, um, and also the detective comment is tag your it, you know, you have to you have to be in charge or you, the system right. is not going to know. Yeah, zooming out is important too. Like I can't, you know, readily pick those out, but you can. But that's where I felt validated in everything I've been doing. Like I saw, gee, I guess I'm on the right track. And that validated me as a caregiver. Rosalie, this last episode, when time is running out, Mm -hmm. um, we wondered if it was going to be hard for people to listen to. What was your reaction to this last one? I don't have trouble listening to it because I prepare myself for every situation. Okay. My husband may. It's the way I deal. And I've dealt with many situations like that. I, I prepare myself, whether other people do or not, I, I do. That's how I live my life. If I know something's coming down the road, what is it going to be like? What do I have to do to prepare myself? And what should I do? And that, that's why I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious. And it's a comfort level with me. Okay, I know I can't control the disease. I just have to be con comfortable around what I have to do. And that helps me. And it has helped me. Okay, there was, uh, there are questions around dealing with somebody at the end of their life. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult to lose anybody, but your, your soulmate and your partner uh, or a child, I think is the most, it's natural to lose parents. It's supposed to happen. 
I can deal with that I have an illness. I'm supposed to get illnesses. I'm 78 years old. I can't deal with a child having an illness. That's hard. So I would need help around that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not going to be here for, I'm not probably going to be here in 10 years. I want to have fun right up to the end. And so does my husband. Hmm. We're going to do that. We do whatever we can. I mean, that's, that's, and you set an example your whole life. What you do teaches your children what to do. And that's a mainstay for me. If I, if I show courage and I show that it's okay, then I'm setting an example for my children. It's so true because I find myself reminding patients and families about that as well. Um, this idea that, well, people can begin to feel when they're ill or when things are changing, that their life has no worth or meaning anymore, um, especially when they start getting physically weaker. Um, people can lose a sense of themselves. But to remind someone of that message that you just mentioned, that uh, in our entire lives, we are role modeling for other people, uh, things that, you know, important lessons about life, like being brave, um, like facing challenges, uh, like being humble, uh, allowing other people to care for us when we need care. Um, to being spiritually strong when we're facing an illness and to maintain hope, uh, to care for other people uh, when they need care. All of these lessons uh, are so important. And for a sick person, you know, again, like allowing people to help care for you is an incredible thing that no one would want, but we're all gonna be there one day. And so it's so humble and demonstrates just this humility to other people and how it's important for us to care for each other. Yeah, the greatest gift that I can give to my husband is to care for him with love until he's not here anymore. And whatever that takes, I, I, when I pray, I pray for the strength to be able to do that because I know that he has a serious illness and I'm a realist and life gives you what it gives you. But it's a gift caring for people. It's such a gift. You must feel that, Sammy. It's a gift caring for people. And if people allow you to do it, it's, a, it's the greatest gift. Rosalie, can I, can I um, ask you about the flip side of that? Because we have a lot of caregivers who struggle in their role, um, who admit that there are times that it's overwhelming to be a caregiver yeah. and that I've lost my own um, sense of self and you know, and they struggle. I understand that role too. 
Okay, I have struggled in that respect um, with caring for both of my parents at different times. My father passed away when he was 106 and I was his charge of everything. And so it's wearing, it's wearing. And, and I know it's wearing and you need time out and it's okay to do that. I'll tell you a story. My mother was very ill and she had a very bad heart and we were caring for her at home around the clock. And I was just, and the doctor said, I was there everything. My father never dealt well with it. So I was everything, making decisions. I had to make him come to the hospital. To, I wasn't gonna be the only one. So it was very, very, very wearing. And my husband said, you need to get away and we need to go away and you need, but my mother had been in the hospital and then they, we brought her home and we were caring for her. We had help, we had physical help, but emotionally we were completely drained. So the doctors said, well, she'll never make three, three weeks. We brought her home, we put her in bed. I got into bed with her, my sister on one side, me on the other, I'm holding her. I said, you never have to go back to that hospital again. You're staying home and you are being cared for around the clock. My mother woke up. My mother started playing cards in bed with us. <laughs> and she lasted three more months so I see she's improved Paul said come on let's go away for a couple of weeks you need to go away we were like and my sister was here and I felt comfortable leaving so of course I wasn't going to leave without telling my mother I was like beyond and I walked in and I said, Mom, Paul really wants to take me away. And I said to her, I said, I'd like you to be here when I come back. And she just looked at me and she said, she couldn't talk by then. She said, no. And I said to my mother, it's okay, Mom. Debbie will be with you. Daddy will be with you. And I need to go away. And she smiled and kissed me and I kissed her. And that was the last time I saw my mother. And I felt comfort doing that because I took care of my mother the whole time. And in our family, nobody else did for various reasons. But my sister came and my sister was part of her caregiving at the end and I felt it was right for my sister to be there and me not to be there mm. and I could leave because she was there mm. and that's and I felt fine with it mm. and I loved my mom mm. no regrets I have no regrets I did everything mm -hmm. That's the point. That's the point. I appreciate, though, that you you 
can also um, share with us that there are times as a caregiver that it is hard. It's very, very hard. There are times when it's hard. It's times when you want to pull your hair out. That's normal living. But you're only one person and you only can do so much. Rosalie, so how do you take care of yourself and deal with your own well-being? Um, well, I'm an exercise. I've always been. I walk. And I love music. Uh, unfortunately, it's COVID and it is very, very difficult during COVID. And I'm a spiritual person. And um, I used to take my father to synagogue once a week. That was our time together. Um, I find it's really hard during COVID because there's not that personal uh, being able to go and pray with a community is difficult for me. Um, what else do I do? Uh, I cook. I have lots of company when it's, we have the, uh, we've made our backyard. We have a heater on our porch and we socially distance. So when I'm with my family, I'm in heaven. If I can cook for my family, Believe you me, I have a restaurant here. I have meals that are going out to various people in my family who need to be helped. So th that's what I do. I cook, I help. I find it very, very comforting to help others. Rosalie, you told me a, um, a story, I don't know if you wanna share about um, your husband, Paul. Uh, insisting that he drive a meal to a family member and you were worried about him. I was. <laughs> I do get to be the mother hen because sometimes he doesn't, well, I feel he doesn't realize he pushes so hard that he can get into trouble. And, and he does occasionally get into trouble. And before I used to run after him, after listening to the podcast, I let him deal with whatever he has to deal with and wait for him to come and tell me he has an issue. <laughs> and that's good. Um, we were going, we were taking a meal to my, or he wanted to take a meal to my son and he hasn't driven. And because of his chemo, his eyes are blurry. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's weakened. And I was really afraid to let him go. Um, but after talking to you, I thought, mm, I'll let him go. And then he came down. He said, I really like you to come with me because my eyes are blurry and I can't see the signs. And I said, sure. So that's how that, that's how that worked out. But, um, I, I know I have to let him go as far as he can go. I think you and I talked about, um, knowing Paul and knowing that his fierce independence um, is important to him and that letting him do these things, the risk is worth it because to keep him from doing these things is like taking away a piece of him. That's right. That's right. So he takes the garbage out <laughs> and he does, he's a wonderful help around the house and he does his own laundry and he comes up and down the stairs a million times. And that's good for both of us. 
you know? Although, although I think you would rather wrap him up with a comfy blanket and keep him protected. Of course <laughs> from, I would. From everything. That's my nature. <laughs> that podcast taught me I can't do that. You're letting him be him. Yes. Rosalie, I think it's just impressive that Paul is the way he is and you are the way you are. And potentially you could butt heads over these different styles, but I I feel like Paul takes a little bit more time than you do to adjust to a new way of doing things. And you're letting him have that time. And eventually you two find common ground between your two different styles where you still feel like you are in your mama bear caring role. And he still feels he has a good dose of independence and control over his decisions and what he's going to do. But yet you're still able to dance together through this journey. Like you have for how many years together? It's going to be 58 next month. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. What's the secret? I think maturity, just, just maturity teaches you a lot when you care about somebody you're willing to do and learn. And you always have to be open to listen and learn. You really have to listen to each other. We had to learn to do that. We never did that at the beginning of our marriage, but we had to learn to do that. I really listened to him and he does listen to me when I make a stand you know, or if I just tell him, I just honest with him and he's very, and he stands up for what he wants. He, you know, he doesn't let me bulldoze him. That's for sure. (laughs) But, uh, I, uh, yeah, that, that's one of our hopes. Like, I'm just reflecting back that um, our hope was to help people be more prepared and hopeful, but a part of that was so that they could feel like they would journey through this part of life, being themselves, being intact feel not feeling like robbed of who they were and everything you've said has has made me understand who you are and also Paul um and how you know just by how you are and using these keys hopefully a little bit I'm allowing you to to just yeah to live as your true self um and not sort of be your life taken over by by a disease or an illness yeah you know what San as you're talking I'm thinking you know so many people get relief after they've done all the practical things like um, done their will and figured out their finances and left the binder for someone just in case, you know, someone's going to have to take over certain skills. I think this podcast we were hoping would be a similar feeling that if you can listen to all the episodes and, you know, reflect on them a little bit, that you digest them, put it all together and then walk your journey uh, with new confidence and a sense of comfort and um, just that feeling of being in the know. Mm-hmm. It's what Rosalie said, being validated to just be what I'm doing, like that I have, I have control. Validation is a feeling of like, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's what, that was the big takeaway for me was the validation and uh, I'm on the right track. You know, you do your best, you hope for the best. And it's like, you know what, sometimes you, 
you raise children and you and you, you always try and do your very best for your children who knows and you don't know until they're older and when they're older they they give you the validation you just have to live long enough <laughs> rosalie thank you so much for joining us today thank you sammy you and and sam you're really doing a great job and I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad I hooked up and I, I'm going to hug my girlfriend for this. Yeah. For, for referring the podcast to you. Yes. 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 Oh. I am. I am personally. It's for me. It's great. I've told a million people about it, but yeah. thank you so much for affirming what Sian and I have been working so hard, trying to get into the hands of people just like you, Rosalie. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website, waitingroomrevolution.com to listen to our first season about the seven keys and to learn more. The podcast is produced and edited by me and Kayla McMillan. Our theme music is made pole by Ketza. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out.